And I'm going to read a couple of, uh, I'm going to read this psalm and read another passage in another psalm tonight. It's uh, good to turn to the psalms a lot, and especially when you're dealing with heart issues and uh, needing to get back with the Lord and deal with your fears, deal with your problems, deal with your issues. It's a really good thing to do. And uh, today I'm going to be talking about, I know we, in the past, I uh, did a message uh, in this line that we've been talking about overcoming wounds uh, in our lives or in our hearts, is I, I, I started off this series talking about uh, some specific things that take place when we're wounded. And I, talk about, I talked about wounds, I talked about lies, I talked about vows, and I talked about strongholds. And four different things, and the strongholds are really what come out of the rest of them when we handle wounds in the wrong way. So today what I want to do is I just want to spend a little more time uh, specifically looking at our first point within that, those four elements, and that is wounds. And I would just go on a little deeper into that. And I know this isn't, uh, you know, uh, heavy preaching type material. Uh, it's not uh, normal type of messages that you'd really get many times at a, you know, in a church service. But I thought it was just so important for us because I think within our dynamic of even independent Baptists, uh, you know, in a lot of the, we've got a lot of great preaching, uh, you know, from great men of God. But at the same time, there's an element I think that's been missing, and that's dealing with some deeper issues of the heart. And I think sometimes we've been relegating success in the Christian life to what people would call the five star Christian. You know, as long as you read your Bible, pray, and go soul winning, go to church, and tithe. <laughs> you know, those five things will make you a five star Christian. And there's a lot of people that do those five things, and they're great things to do, and they are stars to God. I believe that 100%. But at the same time, there's people that do those five things, and yet they're still hurting, and they're still battling, and they're still struggling. And I think it's because we've neglected uh, some deeper things of the Christian life. And I think the Scripture does deal with that. I go, The Lord taught me right back to Genesis chapter 4, looking at Cain and Abel, how the Lord actually introduced counseling. And the Lord introduced to us how to deal with deeper things. Instead of just, oh, you did wrong, repent, uh, or you're out of here. <laughs> you know, We've got to sometimes ask ourselves, why would this person keep doing this? And a lot of people, they do have uh, sins that they commit over and over. Habitual things, well, why do, why do I do this? And sometimes there's a deeper answer to that. And so we've got to be willing to delve a little bit deeper uh, than just the surface stuff. Amen. And so that's what I want to do with, the, with this series. And hopefully it's going to help you. And folks, uh, you can't just listen to this message tonight and then just think it's going to stick. You have got to apply your mind and heart to understand it. Uh, and when you do that, and even those four points that I gave you, and you really start mulling that over and then uh, apply it to your life. Just say, okay, what are my wounds? So I don't have any. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you do. We all do. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have wounds in their life. Whoa. <laughs> Let me get rid of this. That would have been fun. And um, we all do have wounds. There's no doubt about that. It's just what we've done with them and uh, how we handle them. That's really the key uh, to moving forward. And so Psalm 128, I'll just read this. It says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. 
Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thou shall, uh, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. And I also want to read Psalm 144. It says, Rid me, in verse number 11, Rid me and deliver me from the hand of the strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is the right hand of falsehood, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones, polished after the similitude of a palace. I remember when we were in Kenora, we, we had a youth class that my wife and I did, and she would take the ladies, and I would take the men, and she called her class Polished Cornerstones from this particular passage. As I was thinking about dealing with wounds and, and trying to uh, think about how it is that we can, be, we can better raise our families, how we can have a healthier relationship with God, with each other, with our children, how we can teach them how to deal with some of the, the, the things in their life. We're living in an age where kids have pressures on them that, that are beyond anything we've ever experienced when we were kids. And they're seeing things and they're hearing things that we've never had to hear. Uh, my, my children, they know about uh, transsexuals. I never knew that when I was a kid. That was not a part of my life. It wasn't uh, something I saw. It wasn't something that we even watched or heard of. or It wasn't even on the news. And yet, today, it's just inundating the minds and hearts of young people. And that's part of the plan of Satan. He wants to plant things in their heart. He wants to put things in there. So it takes, it takes something on our behalf as God's people to fear God and to desire greatly that our children do not end up as a casualty in this world. We want them to be as a polished cornerstone. We want to bring them up as tender plants. And you think about that. When you start raising a plant, I've never been a green thumb kind of guy. If I start taking care of plants, they'd all die. I'm sure of it. You know, my wife does the plants, and you know what? They seem to grow. You know, when she goes out of town, you know, it dawns on me probably the last day when she's coming back. Boy, did I water the plants? You know, because I just simply don't think that way. Amen. I don't deal with plants. Maybe I need to. You know, but the fact of the matter is, that has a lot to do with the wounds of our life. And I want to look at that a little bit today. So it's a, it's a simple concept today, nothing too terribly deep. I just want to look at four kinds of wounds, four kinds of wounds that you can have. And I want you to just think about this as I'm talking about it and ask yourself, do I have that kind of wound? Am I wounded because of that? And it's identifying these things that help you take the next step in dealing with the particular problem that you're working through. And so the first one is, the wound from absence of good that we need. From absence of good. So wounds happen in our life because we don't get what we need. Good things. Now this is pretty easy to, to uh, illustrate. We're talking about plants. Let me ask you this. I mean, you can ask me, uh, how do you kill a plant? <laughs> you know? Well, you know, you know what you do? You just don't water them. You just don't put them in the sunlight. There are good things that plants need in order for them to grow. And if you neglect those things, 
those plants do not grow. And the Lord gave us these illustrations in the Word of God. Maybe we should close that. Maybe somebody could do that. Seth, please. And uh, before we get people walking through, selling us things. <laughs> and so, so plants, uh, I think the Lord gave us these illustrations in the Scripture how that he wants us to understand that we are very, he, he's illustrating himself and his relationship to us within his creation. And he's saying, look at what the plants need. I mean, Solomon was great at this. Solomon would look at something and with his wisdom, he would begin to discern how that relates to the relationship with man with man or man with God or, or something like that. And you know what? It's exactly the same way with us. If we fail to water the plants, the plants will die. If we fail to give them the light that they need, the plants will die. The Lord is telling us there are good things that you need. And if you're neglected those things, you will suffer. There will be wounds that will come into your life. And so we got to be very careful that we understand this. Missing out on what we need growing up can be highly traumatizing to a young person. Neglect or lack of love and care can have a really bad effect. I was doing a little research and looking at this, uh, you know, psychologically in the world. They, I mean, they know this. They, they write about this. Uh, the, this is what they, it says. I found an article. Uh, developmental delay is often seen in children receiving inadequate or inappropriate sensory stimulation. For example, orphaned infants exposed to the bleakest of conditions in Eastern Europe institutions exhibited impaired growth and cognitive development, as well as an elevated incidence of serious infections and attachment disorders. Much evidence now points to the importance of touch in child development and suggests the possibility that these orphaned infants are not suffering from maternal deprivation per se, but from sensory deprivation, and more specifically, a deprivation of mechanosensory stimulation. So what he's talking about is this. The child or the baby, what the baby needs is to be touched. And it's saying, like, of course, it's important that a child has a mother to touch it, but it's saying that even if the mother was not there, if that child was touched and lovingly touched, as they were growing, they would develop better. And what decision did the child make in that? Nothing. The body responds, the emotional life responds to this. Amen? So we need to understand that depriving things from children, depriving things from babies, it can have a detrimental effect on them. And that's why it's such a terrible thing to see the state of some children, them being neglected by their parents and not loved and not cared about. It has an effect on their personal life. Amen? And I'm sure Brother Malazzo can tell you stories about the Philippines. And, and things like that. And anybody that's in one of these countries could tell you that. And not only these countries, but in Canada. <laughs> I mean, what kind of future does our children have when we're sitting there on the couch playing on our phones and we don't give them the time of day all day long? They're being deprived of the good they need. <laughs> they need us. Amen? That's important. And if we don't, we don't uh, uh, take account of that, we will wound them. And this is one aspect of wounds that you can have. They can have their emotional needs, so physically, but they can also have their emotional needs neglected as well. If parents neglect their children, do not comfort them when they're afraid. 
ah, suck that up. <laughs> you know, well, a child's afraid. You help them in their, in their fear, you know. Sometimes your child comes to your bed, they're scared. Get out of here. No, you comfort them in that. They need that emotional reassurance, amen. And the way I neglect them, if I'm not giving them the good that they need, they're going to be damaged. We have to be very careful. And be careful of reading some of these quacky books out there that tell you to mess up your kids by bringing them into the military. I don't know what in the world they're doing, folks. That's not how to raise your kids. Now, everybody's got something good to say, but that doesn't mean you've got to believe everything they say, amen? Learn how to spit out the bones. You know what I mean? Some people, they go off crazy on some of these, these movements and these books that you pick up, even Christian authors, and think somehow they're doing good for their kids. Not so. You can hurt them. So be careful. You know what? You know better than that author. You just follow what the Lord wants you to do with your children. Take care of them. Love them. How about praising them when they accomplish something good? It's important that we praise our kids. We shouldn't praise them when they do something wrong. <laughs> we should praise them when they do something right. You know, some of our children were far more geared to praise than other kids. One child, he didn't care whether I praised him. The other one thrived on it. Everything they did, from riding a bike to this, that, or the other, always looking at dad, looking for me to say something about their accomplishment. And I got to be there to say, you know what, good job, son. We said, what's the big deal driving a bike? <laughs> Tweak your brain a bit, man. It's important for the development of children that you praise them even as small of an accomplishment as it may be. And you know what? It's not just kids. That's even in the church family. You understand that? Or wounds can develop because of that. A father needs to call his daughters beautiful. You need to call your sons handsome. Good-looking boys. I tell it to my boys all the time. <laughs> I'm not going to make a wise crack, I guarantee it. <laughs> you know? And it's important that, they, that you're affirming, that you, you think they, they present themselves well, and they, they're, they're good-looking. And, you know, a, a daughter, it's a big deal to a daughter. <laughs> because so much is geared to the way they look. And, the, and deep wounds can be developed if we're not reaffirming uh, them as a father. <laughs> See, if we're not going to do that as fathers, they may find someone to do that for you. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And we don't want that. <laughs> we want to be the protectors. We want, we want a, that attachment to their heart. That's an emotional need that they have. There's some major issues that develop when a father offers no encouragement or correction to a child. Now, you may say you may be getting uh, that your child actually likes you more for not correcting them. It's not true. A child respects a father that corrects them when they do wrong. It makes them think that my father cares about me. He cares about the things that I do, you know? Now, you may want to be their best friend and say, oh, everybody can choose. You're a fool. Your child will develop wounds because you do not correct them the way that you ought to. And ultimately, hey, when they're one-year-old, two-year-old, I tell you what, there's not much that they formulate in their mind in regards to the way they look at you. But remember this, and I've told this to people. <laughs> you may think you've got your kids all fooled today, but one day they're going to grow up and they're going to figure you out. They're going to become smarter than you. 
And you know what? That's when it counts. When they develop their, their intellect, they develop their, uh, the, the way that they process things, and they look and you say, Dad, why didn't you care about us? Why didn't you take care of us when we needed it? Why didn't you discipline us when we needed it? And I know I'm struggling today in parts of my life because I have not been disciplined. They'll figure it out. Now, if they don't figure it out, wow, they're going to be worse than you. You understand that? <laughs> and so we got to be careful. These, all these things, parental neglect has a huge impact on wounds in the heart of a child. Folks, I have counseled a lot of people. Most of the time, if not 95% of the situations I deal with goes back to the way mom and dad treated them. Now, I'll give you this. Many times, it's perception. There's a fact that has been distorted by Satan's lies. And, but yet, it always starts with something that was said, something that was done that was off. It wasn't the right thing to do. Now, it could have been because dad had a bad day. It could have been he lost his temper. It could have been he just lost his job. And the Lord maybe comforts that child later on in life when they finally figure it out, hey, it's not about me. But until they figure that out, you know what they think? It's all about me. I'm the one. My dad's mad because I'm not good enough. My dad's mad because uh, I'm somehow defective here and I can't be the right son for him. There's something wrong with me. And it's only when the Lord helps them to move forward that they finally begin to figure out that it had nothing to do with me at all. <laughs> and then release comes and freedom comes, but it takes many, many years. <laughs> many times when I... When I'm talking to people and they, they begin to tell me what mom or dad had said and the things that have been done to them, and uh, <laughs> where was I going with this? I had, a, I had an idea. Maybe the Lord took it away. <laughs> Amen. Let's not go there right now. Anyways, and so be careful that parental neglect. It's so vital that we're in tune with our kids. The things that you say, if you blow up, you lose your cool, you go back to them and you apologize. And you explain to them, it was wrong. Dad lost his temper because I was not handling my situation correctly. Oh, that's truth. <laughs> because if you don't do that, they are going to formulate their own answers and they're not going to do it on their own. They've got a little friend sitting above their shoulder that's telling them lies about why it is you just did what you did. You can't let that happen. That's why good godly parents will constantly tell the truth to their kids. When their kids say something, I feel like garbage, I feel like this, they'll immediately stop and sit them down and say, son, you are not garbage. You're special in the eyes of God. You're special to us. And you explain to them who they truly are uh, according to the scripture, according to truth. Amen? Yeah. We've got to be careful about this. I've seen people damage because there's so much pressure, even on Christians today, to conform to somebody's standard of this is what you ought to do and look at and so forth. And when your kids don't fit that, somehow we just get on them. Like, if, as long as I can force them to be like the way I want them to be, then we're a healthy Christian family. Not realizing that the very methodology of what I'm doing is damaging my family. <laughs> Amen. 
Like I said, it's not about making them look on the outside what they ought to be. It's about caring and tending to the inside that brings out what they ought to be on the outside. Amen? Now, I'm not saying let them choose, you know. When they grow up, they come to church. My kids don't have an option to be in church. You're living in my house, you're coming to church. (laughs) Amen. There's nobody sitting at home in my house while I'm sitting at church with my family. There's nobody sitting at home watching TV while, you know, when I'm paying the bills and all these things while we're in church uh, worshiping God. No, sir, you're going to be here. Maybe you'll be sucking your thumb in the back row, but you're going to be here. Amen. I mean, certain things you just got to lay it down, (laughs) you know. But there's other things we got to be very careful about because there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure for Baptist families to look like a Baptist family. Talk to missionaries. Talk to them. We even joked this morning with Brother Allen. He was in here. He says, yeah, you know, my kids, you know, just, you know, they've been around. I says, brother, don't, don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about that. You've been traveling for three days they're going to be climbing the walls, man. If they do, we'll deal with it. Amen. Well, what kind of father are you? <laughs> well, the father that has to drive three days to come to a meeting because we're trying to reach the lost in another country. Yeah. Bringing a family away from their home and stability because God wants us to do this. That's the kind of father I am. The kind of father that's giving my children an opportunity to be a part of God's work that very few children ever get to see. Amen. It's a privilege. It's not a curse. But it's different. But those of us sitting in the pews, well, we're willing to judge that because we know better what a child ought to be. You know nothing. You know nothing. I know what it's like. You know, not on the scale that Brother Malazzo or Brother Allen do. I mean, these guys have been years on the road. Can you imagine sitting in a confined vehicle for years with a growing family? Man, that's your worst nightmare. (laughs) Amen. I say give them credit. I say let's double their support. Amen, if they got to go through that. Amen. There's common patterns of behavior for uninvolved parents, I think that, and this is not even a a Christian article, this is just people that see this. This is just normal, everyday, worldly people that say, this is the problem that we have today. We act emotionally distant from our children. We don't want to be too emotional with our kids. No, you do. You want to hug them, you want to tell them you love them, you know, you you want that emotion to touch Limit interactions with their children because they're too overwhelmed by their own problems. They've never dealt with their own issues. So every time something happens, it's all about the parent and the children are just the casualties in the situation. You know, get past your stuff, parents. Folks, we have got a responsibility to raise up children for God's glory. You know, you, you've had 20 years to deal with it. Just deal with it. You you know, I'm sorry, don't listen to the stinking world that you can never get past these things. That's why when you let them label you and say you've got some kind of disorder, it's like you've got that forever. I'm sorry, that's not the way it is. (laughs) With the Lord, we have freedom, and you can have it. You don't got to wait till next month. You can have it today when you get on your knees before God and deal with what you need to deal with. 
We've got a huge responsibility dealing with our kids and raising our children, and so we better get things right. Amen? Amen. And that's a part of our neglect with our children because we're too overwhelmed with our own issues every day and our kids don't even know who to turn to when they need help because it seems like mom and dad are the most helpless ones around. That doesn't instill a lot of trust in in parents. Amen? They provide little or no supervision. Let them run. We make that a proud statement. I don't need to watch my kids. (laughs) Well, you don't need to do anything, but the thing is, your kids like that. You know, there's times when we go to the park, they just want me to look at them. They want me to just watch them go down the slide. They want me to watch them climb up a monkey bar. I mean, to them, that's a big deal. (laughs) Dad, watch this. They want me to see that. It's a big part of their development is me being there just to supervise and to look at them when they're doing their things. Now, there's no way I'm going up the monkey bar with them or going down the slide. Not anymore, brother. But I'll watch them. (laughs) Amen. Set few or no expectations or demands for behavior. I'm surprised what kids get away with these days. You know, they're flipping out in the in the grocery store, kicking their legs, and they want that toy, and mom and dad's got to grab them under the arm, and, you know, they're so screaming, and, you know, they probably bought them a lollipop on the way out just to keep them quiet, bribe them. No, their kids got to know there's expectations for behavior. Especially when you go to church, you got to sit them down and say, "This this is what's expected here in the church. And when they do not do that, You've got something to operate off of. You've got truth to deal with. Now, the only reason we're dealing with you, son, is because you didn't do what dad asked you to do. And that's how you train. I remember one time I had somebody say, um, they had their child in the church, and their child made a, nobody nobody in here, by the way. (laughs) Their child made a fuss. So they took their child out, and the child wanted to go home, so they brought him home. So we just missed church and just took him home. I said, so basically, your child knows that anytime they want to go home, they can just kick up a fuss in church. He looks at me. I said, that's what you just taught them. That's what you just taught them. You don't do that. See, when they act the way they're not supposed to act, it ought to lead to something that they don't want to go to. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) That's the way you train them. See, that keeps them from going there again. And they say, oh, I'm not going to do that again because if I do that again, these are the repercussions and I don't want to go there, so we'll try a different tactic. We'll just be nice in church, amen? You bring them to the hallway and give them some toys to play in the hallway because they've been acting up in the church. I'm not talking about a six-month-old and and so forth. I'm talking about kids that you can actually talk to already. You don't give them toys to play in the hallway if they've been disobedient. You deal with them. You deal with them, you bring them back in. Well, they do it again. They do it again. (laughs) Folks, I got no problem with people in the church taking their kids and going out 80 times during a service. To me, that's that's doing business, man. (laughs) I have issues. You take them out and I don't see them again. They're playing Lego in the... You know what I'm saying? Now, for the next 10 years, we got to deal with that kid when it could have been done in a month. You understand that? (laughs) 
many times it's our neglect. Oh, I just don't, oh, I don't oh, I'm tired. <laughs> well, then don't have a family, man. Because if you have a family, that's what's expected of you. You need to deal with your kids. If you can't deal with them, then don't have them. <laughs> well, I already got them. Well, then there's only one choice. You got to get it. <laughs> Amen. You got to be the one to get things right. It's the only choice you got. You understand. Show, they show little warmth and love and affection towards their children. Like I've always said, you know, like the people grow up in my culture, you just don't hug. You don't hug. I never got hugged from my dad growing up. I love hugging my kids. I love hugging them a lot more than they love hugging me. <laughs> Especially teenagers, you know. Go up to them, they're just kind of all stiff. <laughs> you know? That's not cool, dad. Oh, it's very cool. <laughs> I'm the one who defines cool around here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you understand? Folks, we need to show warmth and love to our kids constantly. You know, especially after discipline or correction, they need to know we still love them. It's never been about love. With the Lord, it hasn't either. In fact, you were lost in your sin. You were a wicked old sinner. He loved you. He sent his son to die for you. You received Christ as your Savior. You got saved. You were right with God for the first time in your whole life. You know, he loved you just the same. Three weeks later, you know what you did? You went and did something stupid. You, you didn't get deal with that habit. You started going down the wrong road again. Now you're backslidden. The Lord's looking down. You know what he's saying? I love you just the same. Yeah. You know, whether, whether it was before you were saved, when you got saved, or after you got backslidden, his love has never changed towards you. You know what is changed, though, is the aspect of pleasing him. He's never pleased with someone that doesn't obey him. And that many times, I think, is because of the reaction of a child to a father that they've lost respect for, or maybe their father didn't neglected them, and now they, it doesn't matter to them. <laughs> it doesn't matter to them whether they please God or not. And that's why it's important for us as parents to instill that into them. They, they should want to please us. They should want to. It's a part of their growth. And any parent that doesn't care about that doesn't understand that you developing that in them is going to make a big impact for them in the future when they start walking with God all on their own. Because, you know, you pleasing God is everything about your walk with God. And if you don't desire to please him, you will never do right. You'll play the Baptist game, you'll come to church three times a week, but you still will not be right. You will still sin over and over. You'll come to the front, oh Lord, forgive me, because your life has never been about pleasing God. You don't love him enough. You've got to love him. If you love him, you'll obey him. Amen. Go to the scripture and find something to love about God. That's the way you're going to move forward here. Amen. You want to deal with your sin? You start loving God and you'll deal with your sin. But if you don't love God, I'm sorry. Just doing it for the sake of what people think is not going to give you enough power to overcome. Your love for God has got to be what drives you. Amen. Amen. It is everything. That's got to be your motivation in life. <laughs> if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And they will not be grievous to you. Yeah. There's never a time where you'll say, oh, I don't want to go to church tonight. 
if you love God. You settle that in your heart and your love for God, there'll never be a time you'll ever be grieved about that. There'll never be a time you're grieved about not having pornography in your life. Amen. Amen. If you got pornography, I'll tell you how to get out of it. You've got to start loving God. Yeah. You're not going to love God. It's just going to be a bunch of exercises. <laughs> Preacher told me to do this, told me to do that. Told me, <laughs> you know, there's only certain things I can teach. There's some things that you, <laughs> like one preacher once said, he says, some things can be taught, but some things have to be caught. Yeah. And loving God has to be caught. I can teach till I'm blue in the face. I can't teach someone to love God. But I can give you all the facts and the reasons why you should. Amen? The spiritual needs. Well, this is ending up being a message. (laughs) Spiritual needs. A child has a major advantage when they grow up in Sunday school. I'll tell you someone, anybody that has done any door knocking knows this. They start talking to somebody, and if that person has had some Sunday school in their life, immediately their spirit is different towards you. Yeah. Amen. They've already been impacted by God. Yeah. But someone that has never had Sunday school, never had any instruction when they're younger, they're far more, it's far more possible for them to react in a very harsh way towards you. But someone that, even though they've rejected God, even though they've walked away from God, but they've had Sunday school as a child... They'll, they'll, they'll treat you with respect. It makes a great impact. Parents that teach their kids how to pray. I mean, it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. And every dad should do that. You say, child, do you know how to pray? And then sit down and just teach them. Say, dear Lord, <laughs> dear Father. Talk to them about it. Say, you know why you're talk, calling him Father. Help them understand. That's what Jesus did. The disciples says, Lord, teach us to pray. He says, our Father. Yeah. Amen. Amen. They need the Bible being read to them. Yes, they need Dad reading the Bible to them. They need, they need, uh, they need uh, sometimes they need extra things like Bible camps. They need that. Mm-hmm. It's good for them. Amen. Amen. My brother Gary, he was, uh, he was the oldest in our family, I believe he was eight years old or nine years old. He got saved in a Bible camp. My brother, I think, was saved that same Bible camp as him. And that was a Mennonite Bible camp. Back then, they were sound. They, they taught the gospel. They, they cared about the souls of the children. My brother Gary, at 16, was dead. I mean, I'm glad he went to Bible camp. I'll tell you something, because at that point in my life, I didn't know the difference. I didn't know whether, what he needed in his life. I'm so glad that my family, even though we were struggling with many things in our own home, saw fit to at least get them to a Bible camp. And it ended up where two of the kids got saved because of that. It's a profound impact. These are things that kids need. Good things. You need to deprive them of these things it will have an impact on them. One time I had that child when I was working in a small town just west of Winkler, just a little 200-person town, and we were digging in the street, in our main street, and, and I looked up, and there's a little boy just looking down at me. 
you know, boys are so curious, you know, they're just, uh, he's probably like seven, eight years old, and he's just like a little whippersnapper, looked like a lot of vinegar in him, you know, and he's just looking down at me, I looked up at him, how's it going, he's looking, so I got out of the hole, and I went and talked to him, he says, how you doing, he says, well, I'm doing pretty good, I said, you go to Sunday school, nah, I'd stay at home and watch football with my dad. It's interesting how Sunday school equates with football with my dad. (laughs) So what that dad was doing is neglecting to put his child where that child needed to be on Sunday mornings. Instead made a purposeful comment that the child equated not being at Sunday school with watching football can't talk there's not there's not wounds in that child's life i wonder where he's at today i just told the child i says you know you need to go to sunday school (laughs) that's all i could tell him what can i do you know tell your daddy's an idiot no i didn't do that (laughs) you know so that's one of them the second type of wound is the bad stuff that happens to us so there's Good that can be withheld, but then there's also bad that gets placed into our life. Another way to kill a plant is to crush it with your hands, burn it, light it on fire. Kids never do stuff like that. We can destroy a plant. Evil things happen in this world to young and to old alike. Whether they're small children, there is no that we're exempt from this. Whether it's a six-month-old, a one-month-old, whether it's a one-year-old, a five-year-old, a ten-year-old, I wish there would be an age where you'd say, you know what, at this age, they just won't be touched. Nothing bad will happen to them, at least till this age, maybe 18, you know. But that's not the way God planned it. Bad stuff happens to little kids. They see it all the time, terrible things, you know. They can be physically abused. They can be sexually abused. It's a horrible thing to even hear about things like that. We hear it all the time. They can be humiliated by authorities. They can be humiliated by their own peers. That's a big one for kids. Young kids that get teased and humiliated. That causes wounds in their heart. Say, ah, sticks and stones may break my bones. I understand all of that. But as you're singing that song, you know what's going on? You're getting wounds. You're just being too proud to admit it. It hurts. Words do cut. You understand? Whether we put on the show or not. There's accidents. People have been in car accidents or different kind of accidents. You say, why would that happen? (laughs) Bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. You know? Those are just wounds that take place in your life. And it's going to always be that way because there's sin in this world and we're not going to escape that until Jesus Christ comes. I can hardly wait until he sets up his kingdom. Won't it be a great time where no bad things happen? Won't it be a great time where no, no good thing will be withheld from you or your family? That's the millennial kingdom. <laughs> it's a great time, great time. But folks, these things happen. I deal with these like this. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. You know, when people have been a hard talking them through that. It's hard 
uh, helping in the pain they have to go through and the tears. There's times I've had a, a garbage can in my office. By the time we were done, it was empty. At the beginning, it was full by the end. Full of Kleenex. Just tears and tears and tears and tears. And, and folks, when you deal with stuff, you've got to face the pain. You're going to run from the pain. You'll never deal with your problem. That's why I have the tissues there. <laughs> That's why we have somewhere to throw the tissues, because I know it's going to happen. <laughs> and it has to happen. If we cannot face the pain, we will not get freedom. We're just going to keep burying it and covering it, and we're going to get triggered our whole life as we go through things and never have proper, healthy relationships with people. Then there's also number three, there's wounds of comparison. We compare ourselves to others, and we feel we don't measure up. The world calls it an inferior, inferior, inferiority complex. Whatever you call it, it's just not healthy. It's looking down on ourselves, believing lies, about ourselves because we're constantly comparing ourselves with other people constantly I think in the age which we live in whether you're a boy or a girl doesn't matter it's, it's constant uh, sometimes comparisons with girls can be more noticeable especially the way girls feel they need to show themselves to the world present themselves you look at social media today man I tell you <laughs> They just put stuff up there. They just want to show themselves looking for some kind of approval on the way they look. Then other girls will look at them and say, oh, well, I wonder if I look as good as that or who looks the best. And it's just a constant comparing game. And wounds happen in our heart. Sometimes it can be the way God made you. Maybe you got a big nose. Maybe you got a little nose. Maybe you got big eyes, you got little eyes. You got a big head, a little head. <laughs> you know, whatever it may be. Folks, we constantly compare ourselves to others because we think somehow there's a normal here and I'm not it. And the devil uses that to cause wounds in our heart. Amen? There's physical issues. I think we live in an age where there's never been more body image problems than there is today. Young ladies, <laughs> the way they dress is Everything. Most of the body image problems affect modesty. Because by being modest is covering up your body. Which means I cannot affirm myself in the eyes of others because I cannot show my body the way I want to. <laughs> and it's really a wound that's causing that. Folks, there should be no problem with you dressing modestly. I believe that with all my heart. <laughs> I believe God is pleased with that and God loves that. There's a reason why Peter, when he was in the boat fishing and Jesus was calling from the shore, when Jesus jumped into the water, or when, when Peter jumped into the water, he first put his coat on. When we go swimming, we take our coats off. Peter put his coat back on before he jumped into the water. The Bible says because he was naked. Well, why was he naked? What was it? He was sitting with all his friends like, naked, naked? Probably not that way. But you know what it was probably? Showing off the top part of his body. He was with his buddies on the, on the sea, on the boat, fishing under the hot sun. But when he saw Jesus, he covered up. 
See, because Jesus was the one that wrote way back in Exodus about covering up the priests when they walked up the altar so that no nakedness shall appear. And you can argue all you want, man, but I'll tell you something, that is God. Jesus is God. The expectation is, is, is there today. It's a morality issue. It'll always be a morality issue. And as much as you want to bucket, you will lose that battle because you'll ultimately meet Jesus. And I'm sure glad that Peter understood that when he met Jesus, he wanted to be modest. <laughs> Amen. You understand that? It's vital. But folks, what the devil is trying to do is cause wounds in your heart so you will not be modest. He wants you to be immodest. There's something that's driving this age of immodesty. <laughs> it's not even just short dresses anymore. It's not even just showing flesh. And now it's about just being totally naked in front of people. I've got the right. <laughs> what drives that? I mean, just so I can say I've got the right, I'm going to act like this? No, you can be sure. With these people, there's something far deeper in each one of these lives that's driving that situation. And that same thing can drive you in a local New Testament church as a fundamental Baptist. You can battle over and over with the way you look. Men, it's no different for us. We've got to be very careful. You should never feel that immodesty is somehow ugly or modesty is somehow ugly. Do you understand that? I think modesty is pleasing to God. And that's all that should matter to you. What the world thinks, what people think should not matter. And if what the world thinks matters to you, there is something wrong in your heart. And you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. Amen? Many times, especially in sibling situations, we got an older sister or one sister is seemingly more beautiful than the other sister and people will make comments and they'll, they'll even neglect the fact that there's another sister there and they'll even go to this sister and say, boy, your sister is beautiful. <laughs> What's going on there? This, this young lady is now getting wounds and yet we're just oblivious, <laughs> you know, to what's going on here. And so that comparison aspect is, is horrible, you know, especially within a family. And it can be with the men too, the boys in the family. It can be uh, an aspect of your intellect. Oh, your brother, he's smart. Well, what are you calling me, stupid? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, sure he's smart. Keep it to yourself, man. But you walking around and calling one person smart in the family is calling everybody else not as smart. And you could actually be causing wounds in that family. And you don't know what this person, one person is good at, one person. Sure, this may have a gift and it's more, this gift is more uh, accentuated publicly. <laughs> but I'll guarantee you this, God made every person very special and each one has something that God gave them that's far above that even they give credit for. And it may not just be intellect or IQ. There's different ways that God makes us and different gifts that we have. Amen? And that's why we've got to be careful about just isolating one. You know, it's all about the looks. It's all about the smarts, you know. <clears throat> Some cultures, it's all about the schooling. If, if a child fails in school, they're just no good. 
You know, sometimes there's children that aren't as easy to deal with in school. It doesn't mean they won't be successful. My dad, he had a grade six education, and that was in Mexico. And he's a very successful businessman. And he still struggles with writing things. <coughs> struggles with reading. He's never been taught. But he makes multi-million dollar deals <laughs> with one phone call. <laughs> because God gifted him in certain ways. And I'll tell you what, I'll give away my, my writing skills any day if I can make a million dollars with one phone call. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, anyways, let's move on. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's true. So wounds of comparison. And the fourth one is wounds of perception. Wounds of perception. There's a common principle in life that emotions do not respond to reality. They respond about what we believe to be reality. Amen? This is important to understand. Your emotions aren't necessarily reacting to reality they don't have to they function just as well uh you know operating off of something that isn't reality as reality itself the only thing is is whether you believe it's reality the emotions are a very powerful thing someone once said it's like your brain your left and right one side is your thinker one side is your feeler. And if I were walking along, and for me, this, this affects me, if I would also just see a rattlesnake on the sidewalk, my thinker would automatically say, that's a rattlesnake. <laughs> that is very dangerous. They've got venom. It's rattling, whatever it may be. And I begin to go, circle through all the different things about what a rattlesnake is and what it does. My feeler is... On a scale to 1 to 10, it hits 10. So my thinker, 10. My feeler, 10. When I see that rattlesnake on there. I don't know about you. Now all of a sudden, I look down and I see that the rattlesnake is actually rubber. Now immediately my thinker goes down to zero. My, my feeler doesn't. It comes down slow. <laughs> Amen. It's working its way down. But as that's coming down, of all of a sudden I looked over there and I saw a tarantula. Immediately my thinker would pop up and my emotions would pop up again. Oh, and there I am. See, this is what happens to people. This, is a, this affects your capacity to deal with problems and deal with situations. Because when you have in your home, you've got a dad that's like a rattlesnake you got a mother that's like a tarantula. And you don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. Your thinker's up, your feeler's up. When that is over, this begins, and you keep going like this. So what happens is, in your mind and heart, your, your emotions settle in, maybe about the 7 out of 10 mark. Because you never feel at ease to let it go down to zero. That's what happens in dysfunctional homes. They don't know how to rest. They don't know to ha how to have peace. And that's why many times when you're, when you're dealing with somebody and something happens, one person 
It takes very little to throw them, overwhelm them, throw them over the top. The next person, I mean, it's just like, it's not a big deal. Because one person has learned to bring his levels down to zero. The other person is sitting around seven. If you're sitting around seven, that only gives you three notches to deal with the world's pressures. Do you understand? And that's what happens with people. So when things come at them, they only got three levels to deal with. When it hits them, they immediately get overwhelmed and they blow up. We need to understand that about people. You see. See, that's capacity. You got to ask yourself, what is your capacity? What's my capacity for pressure? What's my capacity for, for going through trouble? Some people lose it right away. Well, that's because they've been simmering on this level way too high. They need to deal with their heart, deal with their issues, and get that down. Learn. Learn how to get down to a zero. That's why the Bible tells us, study to be quiet. Study to be quiet. You look at that and say, what's the big deal about that? God knows that if you don't learn to be quiet, when the pressures come, you're going to go through the roof. You've got to learn to operate at a low level with your thinker and with your feeler. Amen? That it doesn't always get overstimulated. And folks, and so us as parents, we need to keep this in mind as we're raising our families. If we're always dramatic and always full of drama, our kids are walking around at level seven all day long. And then we're wondering what's happening when they're going to the job and they keep getting fired. Because they can't handle it. They don't have a resting level. Amen? So we need to help them. We need to help them. Wounds can limit our capacity. Our emotional capacity is greatly affected by wounds that have lies in them. Remember, we all have wounds. All of us. And you say, well, my wound's bigger than your wound. I've had people compare that. They say, I've gone through more things than you have. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. A person can go through a very little thing and have more emotional damage than someone that has gone through a great thing who has little emotional damage. Well, why is that? It's not the size of the wound that's the issue. It's the size of the lie that you allow inside the wound. That's what causes. So when you're saying, hey, we're going through all this because of the greatness of our wound, you're not saying that. You're saying we're going through all this because of the greatness of the lies. The lies. You're reacting wrong because of the lies, not because of the wound. We've all got wounds. We got big gaping wounds. We got little scratches. And sometimes it's the little scratches that produce some of the most detrimental effects on our life because we allow the lie to be buried in it. Amen? So don't brag about what you've gone through. It means nothing. And if you're losing control, giving credit to the wound that you have, what you're really telling people is, look at the lies that I believe. You're admitting to the fact that you have great lies in your life. Amen? 
I've known people that have been brought up in alcoholic homes. They've been abused. They've been humiliated. And yet, they're resting at a one-two in their emotional life. They can handle great pressures. Well, why is that? Because it's about the lies that we allow in there, whether it's truth, whether it's a lie. You tell me this, if Joseph was alive today and gave us his story about being sold, if we'd have somebody come over the pulpit and give his testimony and say, well, I just want to let you know about my family. My family was jealous of me, so my brothers threw me into a pit. Then they waited for some slave traders to come along, and then they sold me. And then after they sold me, I got brought to this place where I became a slave in this home. And then I got falsely accused of sexual abuse. And I was thrown in prison for another three years, innocently. You would think this person would be riding at an eight, nine in their emotional, just crazy. Some people think, if I act crazy, I'm going to show everybody what I've all been through. You're a fool. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the lies that you believe. Because he, even though he's, he's telling this testimony, he's standing up here in perfect peace, and at the end of that he says, you know what? Uh, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Study to be quiet. Study to have peace. Amen? So you've got to learn that. You have to study that. <laughs> that doesn't just happen in your life. It doesn't just go away. It's something you have to learn. The Apostle Paul even said, I've learned that whenever state I am, therewith to be content. He had to learn contentment. It's not something that just happens automatically as you go through life. Oh, I'll get better. No, you won't. You're just going to build greater lies around your lie, and you're going to keep yourself in bondage for a longer amount of time. You don't just get better. In fact, many times you get worse. And sometimes if you feel you're getting better, all you're really doing is you're numbing yourself out to an extent where you don't feel that right now until there's a trigger. And when there's a trigger, you lose control. And you lose control more than you've ever lost it before because you thought you had it licked. And you become discouraged. And that's when Satan comes in. You know what? What, what's the use in even living? And that's when the suicidal thoughts come. It's a spiritual problem based on lies. He's the father of lies and he's also a murderer from the beginning. Those two things are his objective. Amen? <clears throat> there are skills that do not develop when we are limited in our emotional capacity. So if we're all always riding on a seven, we got people in our lives that are always riding on a seven, they're always like right on the edge. Man, I, I, I've talked to some people, it's like, I don't even have to say anything for them to lose it. I'm just sitting there, and they'll lose control. They're, they're riding at a nine or ten all the time. And when you're like that, you do not, you don't know how to develop yourself. <laughs> you don't get skills. You don't know how to cope with problems. So you never develop your coping skills. How do I cope with these problems? You never develop your recovery skills. How do I recover from a hard situation and get back to a place of peace? You've never learned that. You never learn communication skills. 
any person I've ever dealt with that's riding at that seven or eight or nine level does not know how to communicate. In fact, when they're at that level, many times they, they, they don't even make sense in what they're saying. And all you can do, I remember one time I was talking to somebody, it's like there's nothing I'm saying that's even registering on his, in his mind. All he's doing is just blah, 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 just spewing out and spewing out and spewing out. And, and any time I would say one word off, what do you mean by that? And they'd read into it and they were just riding on this edge and it was just like, wow, they're ready to explode. <laughs> Finally, I just said to this person, I said, this is not profitable. I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to come to church, sit in a pew, and listen to the preaching. See, with a person like that, they don't know how to respond to communication. So all you can do is start at the scratch and say, I want to put you in a place where you don't have to feel you react to what somebody says because someone that's got emotional problems, they're constantly defending themselves and everything you're saying. So before you even got a sentence out of your mouth, they've already got a rebuttal. So you have no communication taking place. No, no, nobody's learning anything. So I said that what you need to do is remove one of these issues where it's just you. And all you get to do is listen to God <laughs> in your heart. And that's the best thing for you. And that was my prescription for this guy. I said, because one-on-one is not helping you right now. You got to learn to bring down your, bring, raise your capacity. Get a greater capacity to deal with people. <laughs> and so there's also social skills. We'll say, oh, that person, he just doesn't do well socially. Well, that's because he's riding at this level <laughs> and he can't handle any change. <laughs> it's not because there's something wrong with them. It's not because there's, there's some deficiency in their mind or their brain or anything like that. I mean, the world will just label them a disorder. They'll be schizophrenic. They'll be this, they'll be that. I don't do that. <laughs> Folks, as a Christian, I would never diagnose somebody. I would never slap a label on somebody where they've got to deal with that for the rest of their days, and now they say, this is who I am. That is not what the Scripture tells us to do. If we're going to say who we are, we're going to say who we are in Christ, period. Amen? Amen? I will not stand up and say, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic, yet I haven't drank for 365 days. They're labeled for life. They have already, they've already readjusted their identity to the problem. That is not what God wants us to do. God wants us to take on the identity of Christ. And as long as we're taking the labels from the world, we will never be what Christ wants us to be. That's why whenever parents bring their kids to psychologists, I just go, Ksh. they're going to walk out of there, oh, you're ADHD, you're this, you're that, here's the Ritalin, here's the pills. And now for the rest of the, the days, that child is going to be labeled that. Because you let them be in the presence of some kook that doesn't understand that there's a living God with a living word that brings peace to the heart no matter what you've gone through. You understand that? Folks, if we don't have that kind of faith today, if we're scared to face this world and challenge it like that, there's something wrong with our Christianity. And I realize they'll get mad. And I realize that there's people, even Christians out there, that'll put out posts and say, I disagree with you. I don't care. 
I'm fighting for those that will believe. Not for those that love this world. This world has nothing for you. There's nothing they can do for you. You let them label you, they're going to take you down. You let God label you. If he calls you a schizo, then that's what you are. And he has never done that. Never. You've never been labeled bipolar by God. You've never been labeled a manic depressive by God. You're depressed. You go to the God of joy. He's got all the joy that you need. And anybody that's depressed, he can lift you right out of that. <laughs> Otherwise, you're saying, you God, I know you could do a lot of things. You can speak the world to existence. You can do all these great things. But you can't help me limiting our God. I'm sorry. We've got to get back to faith. And I'm sorry if that offends people, what I've just said, and I know it's not popular, but I'm going to tell you something. I want to challenge this stinking world. I'm going to challenge everything they got to say about us and our place in it. And if we're going to sit around and let them do this to us without a challenge, there's something wrong with our Christianity. Because Moses didn't go to Pharaoh and let Pharaoh tell him who he was. He went to Pharaoh. He says, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you who my God is. Amen? That's what this is about. <laughs> I hope you're getting it. And I know we're done here. The scriptural model for a wounded heart is found in scripture. Israel experienced great bondage for generations. They were abused. They were mistreated. Folks, we have never come close to what they had to go through for those 400 years. This type of abuse makes people cynical. It causes them not to trust. And anybody that has gone through abuse, what they do is they do not trust. They don't trust anybody. And that's why when Moses went to them, uh, went to Pharaoh the first time, and, and Pharaoh increased the burden on the people of Israel, they immediately started attacking Moses, the deliverer. God wanted not only to free them from slavery, but he wanted to lead them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you understand? He's not just wanting you to be free from your sin. He's wanting you to be blessed. He's wanting you to find the will of God for your life. God would need to teach them to trust them. He would need to teach them to walk by faith, to defeat their enemies of life. And he did this in three different ways. The first way is this. He gave them a shepherd. He's saying, Pastor, you're talking about yourself? Absolutely not. <laughs> this shepherd's far greater than me. In fact, the Bible says, For you were a sheep going astray, but now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. He gave you the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave you a shepherd that looks over your soul every day of life. He looks at every problem, every issue. He knows everything you struggle with, and his eyes are overseeing the great power. Wherefore, thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, 
but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. He led them through trials that only he could deliver with his miraculous power. Think about this. When when Joseph was taken captive, only God could have turned that around. Your situation, whatever you're in, if you can get out of it on your own, it's still not going to be healthy for you. God will bring you into situations where only he can deliver you. See, he wants to build your trust. You've had a wounded heart. You don't trust people. You don't trust situations. God says, I want you to trust me. So he puts you through valleys. He puts you into a valley where only he can deliver you from. And then he picks you up out of it. He says, see, you can trust me. And just like Israel, time after time, there's, oh, well, I don't know. And that's why God, in their wilderness wanderings, he didn't just jump on them right off the start, even though they murmured and complained. He allowed them to get away with it for a little while. And he still delivered because he was trying to get them to see that you can trust me. You can trust me. I want you to walk by faith. Now, folks, it's up to you whether the time that you get to Kadesh Barnea and you're finally supposed to get into the will of God, it's up to you whether you have the faith to trust him or not. But I'll tell you this, God has done everything he possibly can to teach you what you need to know. All the lessons have been taught. Many of us are just sitting at the precipice of faith. Just do I believe him? Do I believe him? And so folks, I just want to leave this with you in regards to wounds, you know, that God is involved in this process. And if you have wounds, there is deliverance. And God has made a way for you, and it may not be easy. You're going to have to face some dark things, but the Lord will always be there to pick you up and bring you out. That's who God is. You're never alone. Amen. I know we have to stop. Now let's bow our heads. Thank you for your attention tonight. I know it's hot in here. and But it's important stuff. It's important enough to take maybe an hour of your day, hour of your week, and give some attention to maybe some of the wounds that you have in your life. Maybe you've been wounded because good has been withheld. Maybe you didn't have all the blessings that some other kids have had. You know, I understand that. But that doesn't mean you can't be successful. It doesn't mean that you can't enter into the will of God. You just have to think in truth. Maybe, maybe bad things have happened. And that's why you have wounds. And maybe in your heart today, you're, you're blaming your wounds for your level of... Um, capacity in your life for dealing with life's problems i'm gonna tell you something that's not what it has to do with it has nothing to do with what's happened to you it has to do with the lies that satan has planted in your heart and what you feel about yourself what you believe about yourself and you need to go to god and say lord could you please show me the truth about this 
I went through this thing and, and now I'm struggling like this. And if it's not the wound, if it's not the wound that's causing this, what's the lie that I'm believing? And maybe you need to just say, Lord, tell me the lie. Show me, show me where the lie is. And then, Lord, show me the truth. Let them uproot that in your life. You don't have to keep going through this. You don't have to fall to these labels anymore. You can be a very successful Christian and live a very productive and healthy life as a man or woman of God. Maybe it's wounds of comparison. Maybe you're looking at your body. Maybe you're looking at the way you're made. Maybe you're comparing yourself with a sibling. Maybe whatever it may be. And maybe you just need to repent of that and say, Lord, I haven't been thinking right about this. And in doing that, I'm really attacking my God that made me the way he wanted me to be. And I've been neglecting the great gifts that he's given me in my life. Wounds of perception. Sometimes it's not what you perceive it to be. You see, you're all concerned what people think about you when you don't even know what they think. 